according to my memory, the first mass protest against the war on Gaza was on October the 14th. So that was a week after the Hamas-led attack on southern Israel that precipitated the war. And I was there. I was astonished by how huge it was and how quickly and with little organizational work. Because if, uh, if you go back to 2001, Stop the War had to be built as an organization and not without some internal struggle and disputes and so on before we put anywhere near as many people on the streets. And I don't think we saw hundreds of thousands protesting the war in Afghanistan. It was only when it became clear that there was a war in Iraq brewing that we began to see a mass movement in a highly repressive environment. And then there followed, after the 14th of October mobilization, a series of relentless mobilizations at such a breakneck pace that it really began to worry me because I was concerned, obviously, about burnout. And then alongside that, we saw these real tactical innovations occupying train stations and so on. Actually, the U.S. movement's way ahead of us on that point. You know, they've been blockading roads and bridges, parking their cars and throwing their keys into the river, having sit-down protests, occupying town halls, <laughs> occupying politicians' offices and so on. And this has been led, crucially, by the Jewish left, by a growing anti-Zionist Jewish movement. Then you have to look at the effects of the protests, because ruling class unity actually broke down surprisingly quickly, especially following the truce period in November. You know, Macron came out for a ceasefire in November and again in December. EU civil servants uh, wrote open letters condemning Ursula von der Leyen, the EU president, for her uncritical embrace of Israel. There were protests by civil servants in the Netherlands, which contributed to the government pivoting to supporting a ceasefire. We see the Biden administration racked by constant divisions and protests and resignations within both the White House and the State Department. In Britain, the Sunak position uh, sort of pivoted uh, as soon as Lord Cameron came in. Cameron actually has outflanked Labour slightly to the left by being a bit more critical of Netanyahu directly and talking about recognition of a Palestinian state without an Israeli veto. And in fact, I think in Parliament, he recently made a number of statements that implicitly suggested that Israel was breaking international humanitarian law. He wouldn't come out and say this, obviously. We've had three of the five eyes. That's the intel collaboration between five Anglophone countries, UK, US, uh, New Zealand, Canada, and Australia, demand an immediate ceasefire. And the UK government has recently adopted similar kind of language. It's worth saying that at the United Nations Security Council, it is not just the US that vetoes ceasefire calls. Even the UK only abstains. Then there's the evidence schism in the Imperial Coalition around what they called Operation Prosperity Guardian, which is this futile attempt to separate the conflict with the Houthis from the Gaza genocide. Ultimately, it's very visible that only Britain really supports these bombings and is aggressively keen to be associated with them, probably reflecting the desire on British imperialism's part to be seen as a kind of important American ally. I also wouldn't under underestimate the ideological impact of the ICJ's preliminary judgment and its orders to Israel. I noticed that even Germany, which is always on the brink of having a nervous breakdown over Israel, actually responded to by calling on Israel to adhere to the judgment, which is precisely what Netanyahu did not want to do. So this is all slowly falling apart, and currently Biden's the only one really sustaining Israel's war by putting America's impressive military and diplomatic leverage at its disposal. And even Biden, you can see, is reaching the limits of his tolerance. He's telling Israel clearly not to attack Rafah. It's unclear quite what threats Biden is willing to put behind this instruction, because he hasn't uh, used any of his leverage thus far. 
So I'm not really convinced that Israel's impunity and normalization is going to survive this, although uh, the British government, the American government, they will all do what they can to resuscitate Israel. I think really Israel is heading towards an historical cul-de-sac of domestic fascism and increasingly aggressive warmongering in the Middle East. And I think basically the only future U.S. administrations that will find that unproblematic to work with will be a Trump-like figure. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode of PTO Extra, then please consider becoming a £5 supporter of the show on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash poll theory other to sign up.